I'm Muslim, obviously. This soul is God. Heaven and hell. Morals, values, and faith inform our daily rituals, political perspectives, and personal decisions. As individuals struggle to find meaning in traditional religions and in unconventional ways, the faithful are making headlines. Uh, evolution is Beliefs shape our identities and communities across the world and around the Bay. CNS presents Beliefs. I believe in Taoism because I think that it has a better explanation for things than modern mainstream religions such as Christianity. As Christians, we believe that we are all connected, all of creation is connected. I believe in Kalima. I believe she is the creator, the giver, and taker of all. I believe in my religion, Islam, and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Rastafari know things. We don't believe. It's like, do you believe in ghosts? I have never seen a ghost. I believe dragons. I believe in polar bears. I believe in leprechauns. I believe that things can work out. I believe in being optimistic about the situation. I think things can turn around. Do you think if you join a terrorist organization, it's like rushing a fraternity. You think it's like, no, 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 no. Don't go to Hamas. Come to Al-Qaeda. The axis of evil was just in town, in the form of a sold-out comedy show. Three Middle Eastern Americans making fun of some sensitive topics. We're looking for a North Korean, if you guys know anybody. The comedians say they appreciate the freedom to make fun of things here, a freedom that they wouldn't have in their parents' countries. But even these comedians, who often make fun of the same subject, say that Danish cartoons depicting the Prophet Muhammad cross the line of taste and respect. I was like, they should be able to do whatever they want. It's a democratic uh, country and they could do whatever they want. Then I saw the cartoons and I was like, ooh, that's a little offensive. They're I was really like, offensive. It's like racist almost. Yeah, so they're racist. It is racist. The cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad sparked an eruption of protests of hundreds of thousands of Muslims. But the cartoons did have the intended effect, in a way. They've provoked dialogue about freedom of expression regarding Muslim taboos. If you conclude from this that religion is a red line you cannot cross, it means that critiquing prevalent religious discourse becomes banned as well. And that, in turn, has sparked a discussion about taste when it comes to free speech. But remember, just because you can doesn't mean you should. 70,000 protesters. But how could a cartoon provoke so much anger? The fundamental thing about racism, especially the racism of the power, is contempt. And this is what you see in these cartoons. The protests also gave unprecedented visibility to the world's Muslims, who are diverse and live on every continent. Hani Shakarella points out the folly of referring to a uniform Muslim world or values that are exclusively Western. Because besides freedom of expression, there are other values in the West. And there is a value that rejects intolerance. But for comedians who create satire out of the same sensitive subjects, why do they get such a different reaction? They say it's their intent. We want to write material that's thought-provoking and funny. That's really all our goal is. It's like, make them laugh and think, and, and try to be as thoughtful as we can. Everybody thinks they're the chosen. They're the chosen, you understand. It's like, no, you're not the chosen, right? Nobody's the chosen. We're all the chosen. We're all God's children. Huh? This is Lubna Takuri for CNS Presents. So there are a set of 
basic, you would call them moral precepts. It is strictly forbidden not to take interest from the, from the, from, from the bank. No meat, nothing but blood. Do not engage in sexual misconduct. No drinking, no smoking, no doing gambling. Islam stands for sober mind. Last November, a group of men dressed in bow ties and suits made headlines when they vandalized Oakland liquor stores. They say Muslims shouldn't be selling alcohol. Now another Bay Area group is calling for a similar change, but they say they want to do it differently. If you are true believers in Islam, prove it! Muslims gathered on the steps of Oakland City Hall to ask fellow members to pull the wine, beer, and spirits from their shelves. It's a scourge upon the name of Islam. A new group called Muslims for Healthy Communities doesn't support the violence, but hopes the attention has brought light to a bigger issue. Alcohol is forbidden in the Islamic faith. Imam Zaid Shakir says individuals drinking alcohol is different than selling alcohol for money. But when you come and sell it in a community, it's no longer a private affair. You're now your violation of the law, the law of Islam. The group draws a link between the high number of liquor stores and Oakland's high rates of poverty and crime. This particular vice is one that affects other people and in this case affects a lot of oppressed, down and out people in a scale that is too big to ignore anymore. The head of the Yemeni American Grocers Association wouldn't comment on camera for this story. He says it's against religious law to sell alcohol, but it's up to God, not other individuals, to decide how store owners will be judged. God is with us because we're standing on the basis of principles introduced by God, and together we can make a difference. Organization members say they want to help Muslim store owners come up with new ways to make a profit so they can stop cashing in on a forbidden drink. This is Sasha Woodruff for CNS Presents. I'm not going to be told what to do by, um, you know, a completely asexual man in the Vatican way far away. <laughs> it is strictly forbidden in Islam to make abortion. If this was the healthiest decision for them to have an abortion, we would support them in that journey. A child inside its mother has a soul, an eternal soul. It's a familiar scene from America's culture wars. Abortion opponents protesting outside a clinic. Religious convictions front and center. But locally, some anti-abortion Catholics are pushing a new, more secular strategy aimed at the fiercely pro-choice Bay Area. Dolores Meehan is a devout Catholic and a fourth-generation San Franciscan. She says abortion is a religious issue. But probably even more, really more central to our message is that abortion hurts women. Last month, a different kind of anti-abortion advertisement began appearing on BART. The subdued signs, paid for by the Diocese of Oakland, appeal to reason rather than religion, asking, abortion, have we gone too far? Some BART riders in Berkeley seemed unswayed. Seems like it's just part of this whole attack on a woman's right to choose, and I don't agree with that. The liberal Bay Area's political climate can feel inhospitable to abortion foes. Many of the signs have been vandalized. 
But Meehan says her faith demands she take action. We are who we are. I mean, of course we're motivated by love of God. He's the author of life. So if people decide that that's being a religious nut, you know what, there's just no way to control that. Yet dissent exists even among Catholics over abortion, despite the Vatican's official opposition. Cheryl Francisconi is on the board of Catholics for Free Choice. I think the important thing to remember is that women uh, should be able to access the appropriate reproductive health care, that it's be- the choice should be between women and their doctors and not between anybody else. Where Catholics come down on abortion could matter to Americans now more than ever. With Justices John Roberts and Samuel Alito now on the bench, the Supreme Court has a Catholic majority for the first time in its history. This is Marcus Wilson for CNS Presents. I believe that gays and lesbians and bisexuals could be leaders in the Catholic religion. Rastafari don't do those things. Because man was made for woman and woman was made for man. I believe that gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people are created like all people uh, in the image of God. You have seated at the right hand of our Maker. He sings, he prays, he preaches just like any other pastor. But back in his seminary days in Berkeley, Jeff Johnson made a decision that would make history. He went to his bishop and said, Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm gay. In 1988, he and two fellow students were the first ever to step out of the closet in the Lutheran Church. And people came to him from every region. They became part of a battle that still divides their church. They didn't really care if we were LGBT, gay or lesbian, but they... We didn't want us to be open about it. The Evangelical Lutheran Church's solution was simple. Gays and lesbians were welcome in the clergy only if they were celibate, a rule that does not apply to their straight peers. We formed the church over the issue of celibacy. It was decided 500 years ago that Lutherans cannot require celibacy. So we were stunned at the capacity of prejudice Today, several Lutheran studies on sexuality later, the policy is still based on what the Bible says. For instance, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That's the main Levitical law from the Old Testament. And the book of Romans calls homosexuality unnatural, shameful, and perverse. risk of suspension, congregations like the University Lutheran Chapels are now fighting for a more liberal understanding of the Bible. We're all involved in sexuality one way or another, and uh, for the church not to, um, not to see where we're really at is really disturbing. With the national church edging towards banning openly gay and lesbian pastors completely, this congregation and its pastor are standing their ground. It's a matter of principle. You're a child of the living God who loves you. I'm Julie Christensen for CNS Presents. I don't believe we have an official stance on circumcision one way or the other. It's a personal choice. Wow. Good question. Um, Works for me. (laughs) I don't believe in circumcision because there are very 
uh, erotic zones that are cut off because of that. I believe circumcision is of utmost importance to the people of Jewish faith. Gershon Schiff was 18 when he decided to become religious. For him, that meant getting circumcised. You can keep Shabbos, kosher, you can put it filling, you can, you know, get married to the Jewish girl, do, you know, everything you have to do. But without a circumcision, uh, you still will be like, kind of, there's something that's missing. For centuries, most Jewish boys have been circumcised at eight days old in a ceremony known as bris milah. But Schiff was born in Belarus, where religious practice was banned by the Soviet regime. His ceremony was secret. It was, uh, you know, basically like in the living room, it was like a kitchen table. Circumcision has been common practice for all baby boys in American hospitals like this one since the 1950s. But earlier this month, a non-profit group sent a bill to state and federal congressmen asking them to ban circumcision and to label it male genital mutilation. We can show you chapter and verse. It is a harmful operation. You're doing the baby harm, not only acutely, but psychosexually for his future. While some doctors still say circumcision prevents infections, Reese says science has debunked the benefits of circumcision. But he's also Jewish, and he's an advocate of an alternative ceremony called Brit Shalom. At this happy, alternative, non-painful, non-cutting ceremony that you usher the little baby boy just like you do a little baby girl into Judaism and then you have a party. But it's unlikely that Riss will convince most Jews. In fact, Rabbi Shimon Margolin has organized a special program to encourage Jewish adults from the former Soviet Union to undergo circumcision. None of the commandments of the Hebrew Bible could ever be, could ever be detrimental to, to, to a person's well-being, either physical or spiritual or mental. Schiff agrees, and he's been known to go out to San Francisco's Russian neighborhoods to share his conviction. But you have to do it not because it's uh, you know, healthy, not because it's whatever reasons, right? Just because it's, it says in the Bible, you have to do it. Katya Kumkova-Walpert for CNS Presents. I was raised agnostic, actually. My father is a bishop, and my mother is evangelist. My mother was baptized Catholic, and my dad is a Mennonite. On father's side Catholic, mother's side Jewish. No cambiamos porque, porque nosotros queremos porque nosotros queremos, sino porque Dios es quien elige. Walking through Oakland's Fruitvale District is a bit like stepping into Latin America. And in Oakland, as it is in Latin America, the dominant religion for Latinos is Catholicism. But more and more, evangelical and Pentecostal churches are drawing Latinos to worship. Twelve million Latinos in the United States belong to these churches. Their congregations tend to be small, and the churches are often housed in humble storefronts. But many converts say that the appeal is the intimate connection with God. Guillermo Valencia, a native of Mexico, is the pastor of an evangelical church in Oakland. Para mí la diferencia fue mi estancia en la iglesia católica. Nunca tuve una relación personal con Dios. 
se preocupaban más por temas seculares como el aborto o noviazgo y la Biblia siempre la hacían a un lado. Yo tenía hambre y sé de Dios y no se me enseñaba eso a mí. Llegué acá a un lugar donde se me enseña. En la iglesia católica uno, uno reza, reza, pero no yo no sentía que a, aquel gozo que siento aquí. The evangelical tradition was born in the United States, and some scholars say that's part of the appeal for immigrants. Part of becoming a Latino evangelical in the U.S. is becoming part of the cultural mainstream. I think it's a presence in the radio now in a way that it wasn't 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. So it's growing, we can say that. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're leaving Catholicism entirely, or that they'll never be back, or that they've made a complete commitment to Pentecostalism. If the pastor is taking care of his people, or his flock, they will remain in the Catholic Church. The influence of the Catholic Church remains strong, but the increasing popularity of the evangelicals has the potential to become a major force among the fastest growing ethnic group in the United States. For CNS Presents, this is Julie Kane in Fruitvale. We don't have a problem with the theory of evolution. I don't believe in evolution because I believe there is somebody who created this world. Uh, do I believe in evolution? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't have any way to say I don't believe in it. I think evolution doesn't require belief. In the beginning, the earth was without form. One after another, during the course of the ages, various forms of life were evolved. For many, it's hard to believe that our existence may not be the result of a divine act. For 150 years, the theory that man evolved from a less advanced species has been a cornerstone of science. But as intelligent design becomes more popular, could evolution be going the way of the dinosaur? Darwin is saying no. This week, San Francisco atheists gathered to celebrate the 197th birthday of the father of evolution, Charles Darwin. The reason Darwin's theories are still around 150 years after the fact is because it survived 150 years of people trying to prove it wrong. Mainly the religious right. They believe that life is so complex, only a higher power could have created it. Belief is, is not, is, doesn't say anything about absolutely being true. It would be hard to believe in a uh, Darwinian kind of evolution and be a born-again Christian. Biologists at UC Berkeley held their own Darwin Day event. They say that evolution isn't a matter of faith, but a matter of fact. I think evolution doesn't require belief in the way that intelligent design would. Proponents of intelligent design are fighting for those beliefs in classrooms across the country. I think that religious fundamentalists tend to feel very threatened by it. As intelligent design seems to gain acceptance, these Darwinists are gathering to reinforce their faith in a theory that guides their science. For CNS Presents, I'm Tony Daslan. When I die, I, my energy returns to the earth. We don't know nothing about dying. <laughs> you become a different person or a different being. It, could be, it doesn't have to be a human being. We're all living in exactly the same boat. We're all alive, we'll get sick or, and or old, perhaps, and then die.
This is the uh, Mission Neighborhood Resource Center. So about a year and a half ago, they asked San Francisco Zen Center if they could send someone to teach a meditation group. Many people are living in very unfortunate circumstances on the street or in shelters, and there's unfortunately a lot of violence around. Are you drunk or are you on something? Follow the sound of the bell and don't worry about other noises. I've also found it very, very helpful in, in, in the homeless life, in situations that you have to kind of keep your wits about you. There isn't so much suffering going on, just here and now in this very moment. So the first thing that we're practicing with is how do you stay right here, right now, right in this moment? When the bell rings, I love bell. I just become what I always was. It's a, like a coming home to a home you never wanted to tell anyone you lived in. <laughs> are my favorite phrases that she uses is that this is your enlightenment. So if you don't stop and notice it, you're going to miss paradise. This is it. Well, for a short time, I also was homeless. I can't change everything about politics, but what I can do is give everyone that I come in touch with a place to sit down in peace. The belief that for every person there is one true love is ingrained in us from an early age. But for many, the reality is far more complex. I personally don't believe in love. <laughs> to me, it's not worth giving up a lot of what I have on my own to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship. Yeah, I think it would be kind of evolutionarily disadvantageous if there were only one person that you were meant for. Nevertheless, society tells us that we're not complete without a mate. But at the many well-attended anti-Valentine's Day parties this year, a different story emerged. One woman came in and asked me about, oh, are you married? And I was shocked that I looked like someone who would, have, would be married. I think there is a demeaning of other types of relationships. I think I'm also going to be very unsuccessful in the evolutionary sense because I don't want kids. I'd rather have lizards and puppies. People are staying single longer, and with hectic careers and fulfilling friendships, the first priority isn't always love. So how do all those couples you see on Valentine's Day find each other? Do they believe it's possible to find one true love? Sort of. Kind of. Oh, not really, I guess. <laughs> With all this confusion, it's a wonder that there are any believers left at all. But we did find one single who still has hope. So much of history is so appalling, and yet it keeps... Like it... People still fall in love and have kids, and the world keeps turning. And If only we could all still believe. I'm Kathy Busowitz for CNS Presents. I believe yoga is spiritual because it just gets you in touch with your well-being. Sharpening is definitely a religion, and definitely believe that dull knives are dangerous knives and sharp ones are better. We do have the freedom to believe and to begin new religions, new belief systems if we choose. Religious freedom in the U.S. allows for the creation of lots of unusual alternative religions. Somewhere in the convergence of influences has emerged their own particular brand of spirituality, 
one based on creativity and hard work. Kelly Janoff is one of the co-founders of the Church of Craft, a religion based on creativity. The experience of performing a wedding was what made me kind of question, all right, so I know I'm spiritual. How, how am I? How do I access my spirituality? Um, and the answer to that question obviously is making things. So, The church, which has been steadily growing since it was founded in 2001, has flocks in over 12 major cities around the world, including New York, London, San Francisco, and Stockholm. I think everyone has a religion, or in theology, a lot of theologians argue that um, theology or religion is an orientation, what you orient your life toward. So everyone orients their life toward something. The freedom to choose your religious orientation is one of the founding principles of the United States. But the right to start a new religion is a freedom most people take for granted. I mean, it's really amazing that what we're doing here in America is legal in the sense that we've created our own faith. But in Canada, it's not. Tristy Taylor, a Berkeley resident and interfaith minister, co-founded the church with Callie. But I think in the act of making, just like in prayer or meditation, when we're really in the space of creating, that there is a connection there that we didn't have in our day-to-day -day lives. Whether you choose praying, chanting, or knitting, in America, religious freedom still prevails. With the power vested in me by the state of New York, I now pronounce you husband and wife. This is Samantha Grant for CNS Presents. Through a set of practices, you can become enlightened. I would say the closest thing there is to a practice of Taoism is meditation. I pray. I pray every time before I go to sleep. And we chant. Like Rastafari, I chant about love. We had a day that was probably around, uh, the faces were about 18 feet. Uh, there was three of us. We actually prayed before we paddled out. That's how, <laughs> you know. Surfers love the ocean. And when the big waves are breaking, they get especially reverent. The ocean is God. I mean, it's Mother Nature and it's God. Carson Green became a believer five years ago. It's like meditation to me. It's a form of going to church. Hmm. I'm not sure what my Lutheran parents would think about that, but I decided to go to the beach and do a little soul searching. I'm standing here on top of Pillar Point. Behind me, Mavericks is breaking. 30-foot waves. I'm here to answer one question. Is surfing a religion? John Raymond was an alternate in this year's Mavericks Surf Contest. For me, it's absolutely a religion. I, I never miss a day of Mavericks. Dave Stanley and Layman Bishop drove up from Southern California to check out the epic waves, the Christians first and surfers second. The surfing itself isn't a spiritual experience, but being out just alone by yourself with God is. Makes sense, but I better get in the water and see for myself. I think that's really where I'm going to find God, is on the bottom of the ocean floor. <laughs> Dude, it was gnarly. I'm not sure if it was God, but there's something powerful out there. I'm going back. Heaven help me. In the Pacific Ocean, this is Joshua Fisher for CNS Presents.